0: My man, okay. Samir, what's going on? Assalamu
1: alaikum. Wa alaikum as bro. How's it going, man?
0: It's going good, Habibi. How you been?
1: Alhamdulillah, man. I'm doing good, bro. I like how your water bottle matches your shirt, man. This color oh, yeah. coordination is, <laughs> is off the charts, man.
0: I just, I needed some water because I just had coffee. I like to have water after coffee. I got my coffee. coffee right here. Oh, word? You just brewed yeah, it?
1: Amer- brewed it. Americano. But that's my new favorite drink, Americano.
0: Oh, you make it out of the espresso machine?
1: yes sir
0: no i just make mine off of keurig that's easy route you know i mean, I mean?
1: Every, everyone starts that way but you know sometimes you gotta level up a little bit and, no i used to have i used to have the, with the,
0: no i hear you i used to have the espresso coffee but i have this uh i don't know what it is if it's an allergy or something but when i have too much milk my nose gets really stuffy and, mm-hmm. it, and if i just let it if i just let my nose be stuffy like for a while it turns into mm-hmm. sinusitis and i have to get it treated. yeah, yeah
1: i used to be like that a lot i used to get science infections all the time but the thing about americano is with the espresso um a lot of the drinks you make are just different ratios of coffee and water you know espresso and water i mean right yeah so it's it's black Amer- isn't it americano is pure black it's just uh, an espresso shot with a high amount of water so the flavor profile is a little bit different It's more mild you know? i hear you so i like it because i don't like the espresso the fact that it's like one shot one drink like i like the sip of my coffee you know kind of just relax a bit so i feel that yeah
0: yeah. totally feel that so what's been popping in your life lately
1: man okay so there's i just started this um i heard that you've also been starting islamic courses right on the weekends i think
0: oh no no uh i started at tisa the islamic seminary of america with sheikh hasa qadi
1: okay that's awesome bro qadi manhub i love it but um (laughs) yeah so i actually started also courses but i'm doing a full-time so I'm doing uh this course at Medina Institute. Uh, it's in Atlanta, and word. Um, it's nine to six, and it's a one year intensive in Islamic studies. So we learn like mm-hmm. uh, a wide variety. I think I think As-Sigadi is more akida based, right? Uh it, yeah, it's Aqidah uh, it's it's uh, aqidah and fiqh. Aqidah and fiqh. What, which shaykh are you learning? Is there a madhab you're learning, or is it?
0: No, no, I, I don't I don't particularly wish to follow a madhab. I studied at first yeah. with uh, Safina Society with Sheikh Shadi al Masri. And mm-hmm. that was Madiki Filthan under a medhab mm-hmm. and everything, but I, I don't feel I have a need to follow a madhab, quite frankly.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. So um can I tell you school- why? Yeah, you can tell me why. Go ahead.
0: You know, I don't I don't hate people that follow a madhab, but it's um I feel like um to, to move forward, right? To move to advance. Obviously, there are things in Islam that stay the same. And then there yes. are there are things that can change, right? And so in order for things to change. You have to have mujtahideen, like the scholars mm-hmm. that formulate yeah. their own opinions that have the validity within Islam, the, the authority to change things with their own opinion. You have to have those guys come forward with new opinion. And some notables mm-hmm. from the past were like, you know, Ibn Taymiyyah, Imam al Shokani. Uh, And so, in order for those guys to change some of these things and to put new opinions forward, they have to come forward with their own understanding. When you're in a madhhab, you can't typically form your own understanding you follow the scholars of your madhab the ijma the consensus of your madhab is what dictates the formal opinion of that madhab and so that's okay if all the scholars of that madhab are diverse you know all over the world because now they can bring into their opinion the, arf, the customs of their land because that's going to have a huge yes. effect on what they think and, and one example of that is the the hanafis are you know they're mostly from the the desi area you know india pakistan and the majority represent. of them are from that region. Yep. Represent so and, and so because of their uh their their uh co uh existence alongside you know um uh the Sikhs and Buddhists mm-hmm. and Hindus, mm-hmm. a lot of their legislation is very lenient towards them, and they follow the opinion of Omar that when mm-hmm. it comes to um living amongst them, a lot of rules that they follow is applied to them as you apply to the Christians and Jews, which is the yes. opinion of Omar. And so That's just an example of how Mm -hmm. some of of, of your affects your scholarly opinion. Now, the problem is if everyone in your madhab is from a specific land, for example, the Maliki's North Africa, and you pick up as an American scholar, all of the positions and opinions of the Maliki madhab, it's going to be from the lens of a North African, Mm
1: -hmm. whereas
0: it should be from the lens of the land within which you live. And so when you, when you constrict yourself, when you confine yourself to a madhab, you're not doing yourself justice because Islam, some of, some of uh, Islamic law changes with your society, like your dress code, your, 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 some of the normal practices that you do, the food that you eat, the buildings that you live in, the, that you pray in, all of that gets affected by your society. And so uh, that's why I'm of the opinion that I don't need a madhab, which is, which is not only just me. There's a lot of scholars that hold that opinion that I follow. So.
1: Yeah, well, think about it this way, man. If you're saying that um, that everyone that that where you live, your rules should be based off of that. And you want to live on a, off a set of rules that are you know according to the modern times and where you live. Technically, yeah. what you're not advocating is not for the lack of a matel, but you're ad- advocating for a creation of a new hub that's suited to where your environment is. You know, technically, that's the kind of perspective I get. So I mean, um, wait, can you
0: say that again, sorry?
1: Yeah. So what I was saying is that from what I from what I'm picking up the main idea of your argument or your point of view no not that we're arguing yeah yeah but um uh you're saying that you're not advocating for the lack of a month hub altogether you're advocating for the lack of those in your opinion or in your eyes those restrictive month hubs from the past or i said the specific geographical regions and then um you are advocating for the establishment of a new set of rules or framework that applies to, first of all, us as Americans, North Americans, or even in general in the West, you know, in a completely different geographical, social, cultural uh, area, than those methods are established. Ah, uh, Just even currently, you know, you can't really apply the same living standards that we live in America to those living in Egypt and Tunisia and see a completely right. different life. Secondly, you're advocating for something that's, uh, um, with the modern times, you know, a lot of these rules that were made, uh, it's kind of hard to apply them with the, with the way that they were thinking, you know, and then, then people are like, okay, you got to go hundred percent. Like, you know, the way the rules were established back then and now, um, and it's not going to line up, you know, so I think, I think what you're advocating for with those two points in mind is not, um, no Madhub, but a new Madhub with the modern times and everything in line. Cause you still need a framework of decision-making, um, based off of the Quran and Sunnah, uh, that can make rules and derive, uh, you know, a guideline for us to live our life in accordance by. Uh, because even if you say, I don't need a um, like let's say like, you know, when when someone dies, how are you going to clean the body? How are you going to bury them? What's what's the proper rules for Janazah? That all goes into also fifth as well, you know? So I mean, like ov- overall, you're going to need a framework to be pl- to live your life by. But what I think what you're advocating for is also something I've seen from uh, other scholars is that the people of the land should make the rules and also in accordance with the modern cultural uh, you know, norms, because they're the only ones that understand it in the ways that you really live in accordance with it. So I mean, with that perspective in mind, um, I do agree with it, what you're saying, the idea, but at the same time, I advocate for um, living in accordance with one of the four traditional matthams. And the reason with that is, is because there's been, uh, you know, a thousand years after hijra of amazing scholars that have dedicated lives and lives and lives uh, to perfecting this fiqh. And there's not to say that there is no diversity within these mudhubs. No one says that you have to follow the most popular uh, opinion of the most established within that mudhub. Um, you know, there's always, like that's that I think that's a mistake that a lot of people think, a lot of people make, um, you know, especially like, you know, overseas. And um, they mm-hmm. say that the religion is static. Uh, it's fully formed. It's an iron seal over every ruling. There's an iron seal over every opinion. There's an iron seal over every belief. You can't change it uh really and true and true uh in the world and even if you look back in history islam's always been dynamic you know he was always come up with ideas like you said um and you know applied their uh you know personal beliefs and also the modern times their own modern times if you're going back to even abu hanifa you know his ideas were radical at the time you know yeah uh but now he's a he's, a, he's a established scholar so i mean with that in mind i think that both of our ideas can live in with each other, it's not that you have to completely uh, forego any of the mud hubs to get what you want. And for me, it's not that um, you can't apply the modern times to those traditional uh, madhabs. I think that they both can work together, um, and I think that I hope that that does happen uh, within all four of the mud hubs for the Westerners, because there's people that follow all four. Uh, Maliki, I don't know as much in the in the West that follow it that much, uh, but I know there's Hanafi, Shafi, and uh, actually, I met a Hanbali it. Mainly it's Hanafi and Shafi that I meet,
0: so. Yeah, so yeah, I hear you. Um, so I'm not saying that we don't need madhab or that we should eradicate madhab. What I am saying though is that not every student of knowledge needs to follow a madhab. Um, mm. and so the, the madhab, it's, it's great to have a madhab, right? Because you have a framework and a methodology for deriving rulings, and it ensures that you stay connected to the tradition, right? That's that's mm. that's how it gets passed down. It goes from scholar to student of knowledge, and then student of knowledge becomes a scholar. And then he has students, and then it gets passed down, right? And it goes all the way back mm-hmm. up to the Sahaba, and then the Sahaba to the, the Prophet, him. But the, the problem then becomes, okay, well, I'm an American. Where's my madhhab for America? I don't have one. Mm-hmm. So I have to go study under the scholars of the Hanafis or the Madikis and, and follow one of their madhhab. And so mm-hmm. it's going to take a while before there's a number of scholars that are under that madhhab that re- reach the level of prestige of mujtahid or mujtahid mm-hmm. Mutlak, which is like the absolute mujtahid, to yeah. derive rulings, to contribute to the Medheb in an accordance with the laws of his land mm-hmm. um, to then make, uh, uh, you know, groundbreaking changes that apply to his area, mm-hmm. to, to, his, to his region. But to, okay. to, to wait for that is going to be, it's going to take a long time. And I, I asked someone, he said, I said, how, how can you wait for that to happen? He said, well, wait, because this is a tradition, even if it takes 100 years.
1: I was like, you're gonna wait a hundred years? Uh, go ahead. Okay. I, I don't think it's gonna take a hundred years. I mean, maybe even if you look at um scholars that we don't have to name, you know, if you don't wanna have any controversy in the comments section, but <laughs> but you know, like there's already scholars that are online in America that have studied, you know, and are actually deriving rulings that we as Americans are applying to our lives, you know. Um, yeah,
0: but they're not much discipline. So you know
1: yeah, but I mean? the thing the thing is the thing is like, okay, so from my perspective, I go against the opinion of the guy that says it's tradition to do that, okay? Mm-hmm. That it's tradition to wait 100 years. But in my opinion, um, no matter if we're starting a new set of rulings, or you know, a new set of rulings, but by, by that I don't mean, I'm, I'm talking about your point of view, not, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I hear I'm not it. talking, okay? Or or we choose someone to become an expert in, for example, Hanafi Fiqh, right? It's gonna take a long time for anyone to become much dahid in either one of those disciplines or either one of those endeavors, okay? Yeah. So either way, let's say you want to do that with your own rulings. I want to do that with Hanafi. If we both start studying today, you know, if one of us is more motivated than the other, it might take us a couple less years, but it will still take us 30, 40 years to master the sciences of learning how to study Quran and Sunnah and get aligned directly back to the Prophet sallam, through hadiths, uh, and learning how to do correct interpretation of Quranic Arabic, how to get all of that in accordance with the correct uh you know, uh, way of thinking, and then use that to derive thought. So I feel like no matter which way you choose, it's gonna take time. You know, for us to be able to do that correctly, right? And and, then, you know, and the truth is, yeah, there's no there's no point in and like, yeah, I understand your point of view in the sense that um that we need someone to be able to do that. But like the, the, with the time, it's 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 impossible to do it immediately. Either way, either either discipline you choose, is gonna take a lot of time, and um. There's no, there's no rush. Like, I mean, think about it this way. Americans have really, Muslims are really becoming more prominent in America within, since like, really like the, the 90s, 80s, 90s, you know, like, that's like, we're really, Muslims are really just coming into America like now, like in full-fledged, you know? My grandpa came to America in the 60s. There was no even concept of halal meat. He didn't even, like, he would just eat whatever because he didn't even know there was no halal zabiha meat, you know? Like, yeah. so you got to think, like, we've only been in this country for a very, very, very short amount of time. So it's still going to take people that are homegrown, study and it's gonna take a lot of time no matter which way they choose
0: though no, i stuff? totally hear you i mean it is uh, a difference of opinion you know in in, in islamic mm-hmm. scholarship that they call it taqlid, you know to, to follow mm-hmm. like is is taqlid required on every student of knowledge or not and then there are people that say it is required on every student of knowledge. and then there are people that say no taqlid should be abandoned completely and then there are some people That's in the, the middle that taqlid, say you
1: mean you mean like blindly following right like a, no no knowledge. just
0: following a madhab, like Okay. Like there are some people that say you have to follow a madhab. If you're a student of knowledge, pick a madhab and follow it. Don't step out of the four mm-hmm. methodologies. And mm-hmm. then there are some people that say, no, we don't believe in taqlid abadan. Like I think Imam Shokani is a good example where he believed in absolute independent ijtihad for every student of knowledge. And then there are some and people in the middle. Positive. Yeah, yeah and then there are some people in the middle that say, no, taqlid is good for some mm-hmm. people, but some people mm-hmm. don't require taqlid. Some people, mm-hmm. if they reach a level of understanding, Taqlid isn't required. And that's mm-hmm. That's Shaykh Yusuf There's a great article on this, by the way, um, uh, on virtual mosque. Let me just share my screen real quick. And then we can, if you want to keep going, we can, or we can also jump to a different topic. But I just want to share this real quick about that's his, uh, uh, this is uh, his article where he shares about the, the difference. Here, let me just go back to the title. Taqlid and following a madhhab. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, fr- it's from one of his books uh and so he he writes in here that you know there's three opinions there's the, the three that i just mentioned that you know it's required on everyone and then no one should do it and then the middle which is some people could do it some people shouldn't do it which is his position um and then he goes to he, he lists some examples of how um taqlid isn't something that is required on everyone like the ht had to formulate an opinion and some people say you have to follow the four the opinions of one of the four madahib uh and then so then he gives this uh Understanding to show why that is not the case and that had can be accomplished even after the, the form of that were established. And so he says mm-hmm. it here. He comes down okay, here and he so, says, Is not Omar's moratorium on the punishment for stealing during the famine an example of Ra'i? Opinion? Is not his decision to transfer the liability of blood money from the tribe to the state an example of Ra'i? Is it not his decision against the distribution of specific conquered lands of Iraq to the Muslim army an example of Ra'i? Is, it not, his pro- pro- is not his prohibition on marrying women of the book for fear of its imp- impact on Muslim woman an example of Ra'i is not his decision to combine full brothers with half-brothers from the mother's side in inheritance law, even after having ruled otherwise. An example of Ra'i is not Uthman's position that divorce is not binding if uttered while the husband is experiencing near-death near death illness. An example of Ra'i is not, is it not related that Abu Bakr and other companions said, I give legal edicts with my Ra'i, for if it is correct, it is from Allah, and if it is wrong, then Allah, the glorified, is free of any blame. Did the noble prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, not accept Mu'ad's response when he sent him to Yemen? When, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he asked, by what will you judge? Mu'ad responded wow. that he would judge by the book of Allah, by the sunnah of the messenger of, of Allah. And if the answer was not to be found in the book or the sunnah, he said, I will make head by my ra'i. I will uh, mm-hmm. make my own opinion. I will derive my own opinion, basically. Um,
1: right, uh, look, can I get a, a view on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with this position. You know, no, the, can, I, can,
1: I, let me, can I say something, though?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That's
1: okay. Okay. So Habibi l- listen to the names mentioned in that in that point. Umar radiallahu one Uthman radiallahu. Anna. No no for sure. Abu Bakr Prophet There's Muhammad sahaba. sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. sallam. I'm just saying sallallahu wasallam, bro. These guys are the core of Islam. Right, They've right. been there since it was you know ordained. They were with Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sallallahu wasallam. Sallam. Sallam. They have the ultimate knowledge of um the deen.
0: Yeah. Um
1: it, it, even even, when, even it says bro, like People that were um, that alive during the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's Sallam. time, they never had to do, you know, like, those are the people that the scholars of the generation after went to for the answers because they knew the deen so well. They knew it down to its core. They knew everything about it, you know? They lived it. Like, literally, they lived it. Now, apply that to the students of knowledge of our time, bro. Like, you know, like, how many of us can truly say 100% that we have the same capabilities to derive ijtihad in the same way that they did. Well, no, you, know you can't.
0: Saying? You can't, definitely not, because the Sahaba, yeah. the, in the Hadith, they're exemplified as the best generation, yeah. right? Yeah. But you have to look at the parallels. Umar is the leader of Muslim society. Mm-hmm. And then you look at your time and age. Some people will say, given that Umar was the leader of his society and he changed in laws and he, he lifted the hudud for a time based on a certain circumstances, of his people, should it not be the case that the Muslim leader should also look at his situation and decide, mm-hmm. maybe this is something that I can do as well, based on what, mm-hmm. what, the, what the need is. And so it's it's also Sheikh bin Taymiyyah, he gave this in a, in, in a fiqhi principle that he stated, uh, he said um, that the, the sharia is not arbitrary halal and haram, do this, do of that, course, yeah. you know, course, there's maqasid yeah. of the sharia, there are goals mm-hmm. of the sharia. And he yeah. stated in, in his fiqhli principle that from the goals of the sharia is تحصيل المنافع وتكميلها وتعقيل المفاسد that and, and this is a rough translation. That the goal of the sharia is to accomplish that which benefits society and to reduce that which harms it. Right? Yes. And so based, yes. based on that, if you look at, if this is the goal of the sharia, right? And you look at the sharia with that lens, mm-hmm. then certain things that were practiced in the sharia, if you practice them today, will harm society, 100%. I'm yeah. talking about the hudud, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm talking, okay, the, the, the punishments. Okay. And so a lot of scholars are, are, are of the opinion that the hudud should be lifted.
1: such so as stealing, cutting off your hands, like, exactly along
0: those lines. Exactly, okay. and another thing, it's very common in Arab society at the time, in seventh century Arabia, to marry mm-hmm. women at a very young age. Yes. Should Muslims, it's a very just simple question, should Muslims today, marry girls 10 years old or younger of course not mm-hmm. and so some people will say we now need to say to make it clear to the world that islam has an age restriction on marriage
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that there should be a minimum age for for men and women to marry that's mm-hmm. an opinion and i believe sheikh hasaqadi mm-hmm. holds that opinion and so mm-hmm. and so if, if if you look at the sharia with that lens that hey this is here this law is not you know, stagnant until the day of judgment, which believe it or not, some people believe. And that no one has the right to change the Sharia except the Prophet. Hasha, they say, you know, like God forbid that anyone should change it except him. Um Mm -hmm. and then there are some that say no, like clearly from the tradition, from the Sahaba, that some things can be changed. We can if you want, we can keep going or we can stop here and and, and switch topics.
1: No, I mean look, I agree with you in the fact that um we can do both. We can go a little bit (laughs) and switch topics up to how long you want to make this episode. Yeah, um what I was saying is like yeah okay look I'm 100 percent with that like the belief where you said I don't believe that Islam is static. I don't believe that every ruling that's had has happened has it can never change. Because I mean, even if you look back at it, the way that Islam was ordained, a lot of the rulings were in accordation or accordation, what's the right word? Accordance Mm -hmm. (laughs) with with uh the society of the seventh century Arabia, you know? Like, so of course we have to derive those ideals those principles what the moral values are trying to uphold and apply it to our modern society and that exactly. requires a little bit of shifting of values or shifting of um rulings but you right. keep the same values going through society right throughout the ages um that's what i that's what i believe but i just believe that um like I just believe that it's best done through uh, not exactly the you know this like the the um, approach to Quran and Sunnah that the traditional methods have done just because um, there's been so much history behind it that have perfected the the way of thinking Uh, and you can use those ways of thinking to apply derive ruins for modern society as well. You know What I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Um, So that's that's my perspective, but yeah, we can go to another topic now. I think we both explain that point of view pretty well.
0: (laughs) I hear it. Um, All right, yeah. so what what do you want to talk about? You wanna you wanna go into to college life? That's what I was thinking. We should do this episode on college we'll life for Muslims. Yeah. Hopefully right, we you, didn't you lose can... all the co-
1: we, did, we didn't lose all the college students with that highly like yeah. abstract. No, no, we can discussion. we can cut
0: it out. We can put it in, in a separate clip. <laughs> okay. Um, so so you can go first if you want. Tell me about um, uh, just just first off, like uh, your expectations right when you were in high school and you were graduating, your uh-huh. expectations of college, and then when you came in and 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 if it was different, how different was it?
1: oh man okay so this is the preface man like i wasn't really i wasn't religious at all Uh in high school i wasn't religious at all my first two years of college okay like um so you know when i was going to college like i'm not even gonna lie i chose usc because i thought it'd be a party school i thought it'd be fun (laughs) i'm not i'm not even lying i'm not even Mm -hmm. lying i was like there's three there's three choices for me clemson my SAT score was not high enough to get into Clemson most likely. I wasn't that mm-hmm. studious. Like now the you know me, now I'm the guy that will spend twelve hours every day of the week. No, yeah, day, you're a you smart know, guy, I mashallah. Mean? Yeah, yeah. But back then my priorities were different, you know. Like um when I was 17, 16, like I was a I don't know if I told you I don't even you might know this or not, but like I was a music producer. Yeah, I was getting too. like I was getting like I was sixteen, getting like seventy thousand plays a day on my wow. music, you know? Like I, I hadn't I had no I like I like I had no reason to go to school. I than to have fun and make my parents happy until my career popped off kind of thing. That was that was my point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to school, make my parents happy and make music, go to Atlanta every weekend like I did, go to Atlanta every weekend and go to the studios. So I mean like I just thought it was gonna be like a fun time, you know, hang out. That was my expectation and that's what I found.
0: So why did you, you go know? to Atlanta? Is that where you go to produce music? Is
1: So Atlanta's like the epic rap music right now. Oh, okay. uh, that's kind of that's the kind of music I made. You know that's that's the kind of music i enjoyed uh and that's the environment that I, I wanted to be in so i'd go there pretty much like every weekend if not every other weekend you know just to hang it. out with my friends go to the studio and you know go to concerts go to shows like every weekend so i mean like that that was really my life for the first like year and a half two years of college you know mm-hmm. um but then um <laughs> what well, where it all changed is that um i went to umrah right mashallah uh, I went to Umrah, uh, I don't know, okay, this was, this was my second, this was, this was the winter break of my sophomore year, right, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to Umrah, and I, my parents tell me they're going, and in my head, I'm like, bro, like, I gotta fix up, like, I can't go in, like, this dirty state <laughs> to Umrah, you know, like, <laughs> with my lifestyle habits and my practices, so, like, the yeah. month, and two months leading leading up to Umrah, like, I gave up some bad habits trying to, you know, uh, wasn't perfect, but then, I went to the Kaaba in, in Saudi Arabia, and um, I made this du'a. I remember this du'a, per, like, fluidly. Like, I was in a place where, like, you know, I was having fun from the outside world. Like, you know, I was dressing in designer clothes. I was getting a lot of money every week. I, was, I had, like, people would literally come to me and, lecture and be like, yo, bro, like, my name used to be Sammy Safari, you know, that like, I used to be in music. Yeah. So they would be like, yo, bro, are you Sammy Safari, bro? Like, you can ask, ask my friends from back then, bro, in the lecture man like all the time people come to me like yo that's you right like that's you right okay let's let's hang out let me get your number let me get your follow on Instagram so like I had all of these things from a worldly perspective you know yeah but like there's something inside of me that was just like unfulfilled and people always say that right like we always listen to an Islamic lecture about Dean versus Dunyan. like you have everything but you'll never feel fulfilled from the inside I was never yeah. filled from the inside I was sad I was anxious I had periods of depression um you know what I mean? Like I, I felt like I was failing my parents. I was making them unhappy. I felt like I was being a bad example to my siblings, uh, bad influence to my friends. You know I mean? Like all these things. I was living for the gratification of desires and for the acceptance of others, pretty much like, you know, okay. praise of others. So with those kind of things, you'll never get fully like fulfilled. So I was there, I made a dua. At the Kaaba staring at it, I was like, Allah, please help me reach the, the, my highest potential. Let, let me use my mind to its highest capabilities how me become the best version of myself, how me become the best man that I can become like a lot of things like this is like, please help me improve myself out of my current state, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie. Like I didn't really pray like that. Like um, in the first year and a half of college, I like, would maybe go to gym sometimes, you know, and mm-hmm. this is I'm not, I'm not trying to show off. People say don't expose your sins, but they say don't expose your sins to show off. If you're using it to teach a lesson, then it's okay. And I'm not right. even, you know, dang, how bad I used to do this, so. uh So yeah, I'm just trying to tell people where I'm at. Cause I feel like a lot of college students can relate to that kind of, lifestyle yeah you for know? sure uh so um then I was so basically we were in Saudi Arabia for two weeks my family stayed for three weeks I could only stay for two weeks because my college was starting so mm-hmm. I went by myself to Toronto for a flight from Qatar uh, from from Mecca to Qatar to Toronto Toronto I had a layover because the weather was bad so I had to go to a hotel <laughs> and my van driver Was actually like this West African Muslim guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he was he was like, brother, where are you coming from? I was (laughs) like, (laughs) I was like, I was like, I'm coming from Saudi Arabia. I just said umrah. He's like, mashallah, mashallah, I'm Muslim too. I was like, oh, for real? He's like, yeah. Then he asked me this question. He's like, do you pray? I was like, "Mm." I was like, no, I don't really pray like that, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. And he's like, this this advice literally changed my life. He said, he said. If you don't do anything else, make sure you pray. Prayer awesome. is the most important thing in your life. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, it's gonna have Allah on your mind. It's gonna remind you that you're gonna die and it's gonna set your whole life in accordance with Islam. It's gonna purify yourself and it's gonna set your life on a schedule. He said, you wake up in the morning early, pray Fajr, you're reminded of God, of all these blessings you have, you're motivated to do, live your life. And then from there, your day's already started, you're going to plan out the rest of your day, you're going to be productive from the beginning, So if you begin your day with praising the Lord, then the whole day you'll be productive, then you're going to eat lunch, praise the Lord. right, you get a little bit of relax, but you still get in touch with your spirit, and then from there you go from Asr, you know, Maghrib, Isha, go to sleep, like your whole day will be on a perfect schedule, yeah, so I, I listened to it, and I was like, you know, he has an amazing point, like, I, you know, um, I'll try, I'll start praying when I go home, so like, once I got, got to college, like I, I started praying, but it would be like, you know, sometimes make up all five at issue. I kind of think, I hear you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, slowly over time, like, you know, you start caring more. Um, you started hearing your life more and more to that schedule. And of course, as you start praying, then you're going to want to start doing other good things as well and start letting go of more bad things. And I think that's what um, a lot of scholar, scholars I listen to is like once you once the, the prayer is the thing that holds you to the identity of a Muslim. Once yep. you start praying, you're gonna feel like doing more. And once you let go of praying, you're gonna feel like you don't wanna do anything at all. You know? For sure. So, so from there, I got more, more religious life completely changed. So you could say like, you could say that in high school, my expectations were very different than the expectations I wanted two years later. And uh, I feel like, as in any individual, and the environment is so diverse with so many different groups and so many different, um, so many possibilities as a college university, you can really get whatever you want out of it. Um, you know, people always say that, that like, for example, people always say at USC, there's none the Muslims to hang out with, like, you know, yeah. how am I going to have a halal experience? I have no friends. I mean, me and you can both say that from perspective. We had no, uh, you know, like limitations at all. We had fun every day, like, you know, every weekend we had plans every day, every like every weekday we had stuff going on. Like, you know, you can really get whatever you want out of it. Um, so, yeah, I kind of went away from your question a little bit and gave no, up no, that, no you
0: know, that was no, that was good. Man. What <laughs> what's yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. What's something difficult that when you came into uh, when you when you enrolled at college? What's something difficult that you had to put up with uh, as a Muslim?
1: So are you saying um before I was kind no of during college after, during college in general? Yeah. Um,
0: I'm sure there's a ton okay. of things.
1: There's so many things. Yeah. <laughs> there's so 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 many things. Um, I mean like this is the uh, thing. You know what, 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 what does uh, what do we always hear in Islam? Life is a test, right? Right. Yeah. And Allah, Allah tests those He loves the most. So when you're coming That's to right. the Deen, you love Allah, and whatever you think of Allah, He He thinks of you, right? Or He is for you. Yeah. So you know, like I loved Allah so much, I wanted to live my whole life in accordance with the Deen. You know, and right when you start doing that, all like the the desires you wanted to fulfill before your practicing will start, like you know, for me at least, they started like bringing themselves to me. So you know, uh, I started getting invited to so many, like, you know, things to go hang out with people in bad places, uh, people that want to hang out with me that if I was a year early, I'm like, yeah, I'm so down, you know. It just these like trying circumstances kept coming up over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it like it's sort of a sense of self-purification each time you say no to that, because then you say no to your former identity, but you say yes to your current identity. And you purify yourself. And there's always the, you know, the verse, whatever you give up for the sake of Allah, he gives returns with something better. Right? That's right. Returns with something better. So every time I'd say no to that, it would be tough in the moment, but then I'd find out I got a blessing, you know, in some way. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of stuff was very, very tough. Um, another another very tough thing is, <laughs> uh, actually, we really leave out one sentence. We don't have to go too deep into it. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, even when you try to join the Muslim organizations, the Muslim Student Association. Yeah, yeah. You find out that those are some of the most trying places for a Muslim. You that's know? right. You know, riba, backbiting, like bro, that's one of the most gravest sins. But that's the most abundant thing going on in a lot of these organizations. Oh, you know?
0: I thought you were going to talk about the girls aspect of it.
1: Oh, I mean, I didn't even want to mention that because of structural lies. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'll, I'll leave it at this. I'll leave it at this. Yeah. For the girls. Uh, as soon as I started getting more religious. Like more and more and more girls started just hitting me up, wanting to hang out, wanting to chill. Yeah. Solo, you know, and like, um, that was a tough thing to say no to, you know. Um, that was a tough thing to say no to. But
0: yeah,
1: uh, the identity I kept in my head was like, <laughs> this is gonna sound like simp, you know, like a simp, right? But I was like, man, I got to uh-huh. save myself for my future wife. So, I got yeah. I got to give, give her respect, you know, and she deserves someone that doesn't mess around like that. So, well, I mean, I mean in,
0: in terms of the the hanging out aspect, I mean. I don't think it's not, it's completely not forbidden.
1: No, go ahead. What you say? I'm not talking about hanging out.
0: Bro. Oh, you are talking about the haram relationship? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hear you. Okay, okay. Because yeah. I was gonna say the 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 hanging out in a public place. I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, and, wrong with it. But a lot yeah. of
1: my best friends, a lot of my best friends are girls because they just have like such an uh, emotional intelligence that you guys can actually have like these deeper conversations that sometimes may not be facilitated with guys. And then yeah. also I was talking to my another friend is like. MashaAllah, a lot of these like muslim girls are very intelligent driven women so you know we'll hang out but like we'll go and study in the library for two three hours and then yeah, chat yeah. you know between our study breaks like a lot of guys like you know if i tell a bro i put up on me in the library like you're the only one i will see there you know <laughs> <laughs> like no one's gonna want to come and, sit and study with me for four hours so yeah yeah Masha. a lot of my best friends were women like and I, I, it was complete a while, we hang out in public places library get lunch in the, the cafeteria like all these things is cool but I'm just yeah. talking about more. You know what? Escalating, like no, I, I hear. You. Like, no, I can't.
0: Yeah, I make a yeah. big distance. Yeah. Um. Now, obviously, we're not talking about seclusion, and and I have a really funny story. I'll, obviously, I'll keep it very general. I'm not going to go into mm-hmm. details. Uh, uh. But he basically, it was a situation where he had roommates, right? Uh. That were uh. uh you know, white guys, and so um, this dude would would bring girls over. Very, very often, right? And so, it, it one thing led to another. Um, he ended up just like confessing in, in the car to me one time, like, uh, "Bro, Rasha, I got something to tell you." Like, "What's the matter, man?" He goes, "Dude, I did something really bad." I was like, "What'd you do?"
1: I was at a girl's ankles and shoes with my roommate. No, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he says, uh, "He goes, uh, so these two girls came over. I don't know how it happened. I." I decided to try alcohol. I tried it before, but I got drunk and I had mm-hmm. sex with two of them.
1: Oh, dang.
0: I was like, dang, dude, why'd you do that? So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> why? Like
0: I like to be a tiny bit sarcastic in tough situations sometimes.
1: What were you trying to get out of that question?
0: Huh? No, I was just being a little humorous because he looks so distraught. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you lighten I, him up a little bit. I just lighten him up a little bit, you know what I mean? Because yeah, he looks yeah. so sad about it. Um, but dude, honestly, it's very obvious. You put yourself in a situation like that. What do you think is going to happen? Like, you leave yourself alone in a room with with two girls. You know, and there's alcohol, you know, add to it, yeah. the, the alcoholic aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. did you think was going to happen? You're not I a agree. saint. You're not Prophet Yusuf. You're just a man. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, add to For that. Blood. Yeah, yeah, add to that the some of the Sahaba. You know what I mean? Like let's just be frank and and, and I wish people would be more frank about the some Sahaba right? Like obviously we um Omar, uh, may Allah be pleased with him before he became a practicing Muslim. I mean, he used to get yeah. completely drunk, completely wasted, you know? Yeah. Because he was depressed all the time. He used to have friends yeah. that he would go get drunk with. Yeah. And uh, there's another Sahabi. One time he came to the Prophet, I sent him in the masjid. They're about to so pray, the Lord. The he says, Oh, Prophet of Allah, please forgive me. He's like, What? He's like, I kissed a prostitute. He's like, What do I need to do? Like, do I need to be reprimanded for this? Do I need punishment? Should I go make ghusl? He's like, no, no, you're good. Go, go make wudu and pray the Lord with us.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you hear stories that all the time. Even yeah. when they're giving up drinking, that, like, you know, the, the law came for drinking. Like, some of them couldn't give it up. They kept trying and trying. That's right. Even, you know, yeah, there's like, you know, the story of like the, the guy asking the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Like, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, there's all these stories. I and, mean, okay, so personally speaking now, my third and fourth year, right? Yeah. I became very religious. Uh, I still live with non-Muslims, you know? And these non-Muslim guys, you know, they were very cool, very good brothers, you know? But yeah. they're in fraternities or whatever, and they'd always want to throw parties. So you, yeah, can yeah. Ask, you can ask people that are around me. Like, I would know my friends and roommates having a party. I'll purposely leave my apartment, you know what I mean? Make yeah. sure I'm not there, yeah. you know? And tell them, like, yo, guys, let me know when you guys are going to party. I have nothing against it. because I'm not trying to be, a, like, a nuisance for you guys, you know? Yeah. But just let me know so I can make sure I'm out of the way, you know? Then I'll go hang out with my other friends. I'll go um, study in the library, most likely, yeah, until like yeah. 2 a.m., you know, chill. Uh, or we'll study even downstairs in our apartment, like in the common areas. Like, you know, I just, every time there's a party at my apartment, I'll make sure I'm not there, you know? yeah. Because like you said, like, you can easily fall into any of those things. Uh, even if it's not, you know, to the extent that what your friend did, not saying that he did anything terrible. Every, a yeah, lot of people yeah. have been there, you know? Like, it's a sin. He's, if you made persistence to repentance, it's like it never happened. Right, matter, right you know but um like you know anything can happen there like you know you can even this or even just being around that environment make you want to do something next week you know yeah so, like like dude um,
0: you really you just have to find out okay where is it that you know i would easily fall into zina mm-hmm. so that i can avoid it like I'll, I'll give you an example um i used to to hang out with a friend of mine that worked at the game room you remember mm-hmm. back in uh carolina
1: game room
0: yeah yeah what's the, the name of the building i forgot Russell. Uh, House. Russell. Yeah. Russell House. Uh, and uh, I would I would oh, hang out because he'd, he'd work the late night shift like he like he ends at like 10 p.m. Right. And then it was on a Saturday like, or Friday night. And I would go I, I, I'd, after I'd wrap up classes. I would just go, you know, after gym and stuff and then I'd go hang out with him at the game room. Uh, and so obviously Russell House is right across the street from the, the, the girls dorm. Right. Yes. And yeah.
1: um, what was that called?
0: I don't remember, but I would I would walk out at night to get to my car <laughs> and I would see just a whole crowd of girls huddled yeah. out in front of their building because they're waiting for their uber rides to get to uh five points and then get drunk dressed up not. like
1: yeah dude yeah, yeah.
0: they were dressed up wallahi, like prostitutes man Yes, i, lo- I took a glance right at first glances it's halal, halal. Right? it's okay i, was, I it's wanted to see what was one. going on <laughs> i looked and i was like oh my god dude their hair is done their shirts are like crop top they got boots crop on. Top on
1: bottom and top
0: right exactly some of them were wearing see-through shirts like you could see everything oh, yeah. except the nipple uh yeah. they had makeup on they smelled their perfume was like you could smell it across the street which is where i was like dude i'm telling you man and then you want to put yourself in the middle of that and think nothing is going to happen dude you're like 21 you are, you're at the age you, you are prime time you know, uh, your carnal hormones desire, flowing, yeah. exa- your hormones are flowing. Your carnal desire is at its height. You know what I mean? You're, you're mm-hmm. at the gym working out. Your testosterone is pumping. You
1: did.
0: And then yes. you want to go and sit with them. Like, what are you doing? Like, do you have yeah, any yeah. sense? No, I'm not going to commit. You goofball. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah yeah dude i have a friend <laughs> i have a friend from saudi okay so that, that's not yeah. the normal situation right that's like friday night when they're going partying normal situation that's is that thursday
1: that's 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 tuesday thursday friday and saturday
0: yeah so I, <laughs> i'm not familiar with those dates but i appreciate that uh, yeah. uh you know problem, yeah. i appreciate why that on, why you
1: put me on this you made me look so bad i'm not familiar with those no days. i'm not <laughs> no i'm just saying what is tuesday <laughs> I should...
0: no no seriously what is that
1: i don't i don't know i don't know bro i don't know anymore yeah, you could tell me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm okay. just kidding. I mean, uh, you know, there's like, back in college, I just remember, because I used to have like, roommates that in fraternities, right?
0: Uh-huh. So
1: they would call it like, every, every day of the week, there was some special, you know, on, at some specific venue. So Mondays had one, Tuesdays had one, Wednesdays had one, Thursdays had one, you know? Like, that means these they're partying the week, every day.
0: Like, there's pretty only much, yeah.
1: Like I'm not going to lie. Yeah, like my, when I had my roommates, I would like go out all the time. my freshman year because i was completely random you know yeah yeah they were out every weekday almost wow yeah every day of the week and every weekend except for sunday they'd stay home usually Mm -hmm. sunday they'd stay home that's the that's the lord's day you know so they had to stay (laughs) (laughs) after all
0: the partying no but uh i had a friend right uh from saudi and you know how Mm -hmm. saudi is especially if you're from the capital every everybody is cloaked up and black you know you don't see anything in terms of women you don't see even when you pull up at starbucks it's segregated i was like what about the cash register he's like yeah there's a a little bit of a crevice when you reach the cash register but before that there's a wall you can't even it's completely it's probably different a little bit now but that's how it was for him and so he was telling me when we were walking in front of, i was showing him where his his classes would be and where to find the buildings right when he first got here and uh, his eyes were like this like why is that is
1: that is that the guy that um
0: I'm not going to mention who. No, but, but I'm, I,
1: You don't know. Yeah, no one's going to say his name. It's the guy that Barahim used to bring to my apartment, I think. His dad was like in the military or something.
0: I don't know, to be honest. But he, he basically, okay. right, he, he would, he was walking with me and his eyes were like that. I was like, what's the matter? I mean, you Bunny. good? Huh?
1: He's like, he looks like Bugs Bunny. Bro. Yeah, yeah,
0: Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and I was like, you
1: good, man? What's going
0: on? He goes, bro, I looked towards the crowd and I tried to find an ugly girl but i couldn't find
1: one it's because he's never seen a girl <laughs> <laughs>
0: i was like are you serious he was like oh my god yeah i took him to the grocery store yeah. and i showed him all right this is what you want to buy this is milk right this is leban because you know he pointed yeah, stuff out yeah, for him he yeah, still doesn't speak yeah. english um and then he we passed by an aisle he's like what's that i was like that's alcohol He's like they just put it with the groceries i was like yeah man uh, he was like because it's that it's that thing that's forbidden yeah that you don't mm-hmm. see don't touch but he's never he's never seen it before
1: mm-hmm.
0: and now he's seen it probably in movies on tv but he's never seen it in real life now he's looking at it he's like wow it's right there picks it up Wow. <laughs> so it's drinking it
1: Whoa. <laughs> dude and this is really tough for him
0: some of the saudis he told me by the way stories he said we had one guy that was kicked out of the country and sent back to saudi arabia i was like damn what did he do he was like he, he, he enrolled in classes and he disappeared from class for about a period of two weeks straight or sorry, not two weeks. Mm-hmm. It was like two or three days disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no one heard from him. They went to check on it because they don't know. Maybe he's dead. You know, mm-hmm. nobody heard from him. they went to his apartment and they got uh, the police to open up the apartment. They found this dude wasted on the floor of his apartment, completely mm-hmm. drunk, you know, mm-hmm. bottles and bottles of alcohol like he he saw his chance. And he took it, you know, it got completely drunk. Uh, you know, another guy, uh, he, he was basically a, a uh, how do you say? Actually, I'll not go into that story. It's a little bit of a bad story. Uh, there's another yeah. guy that. Um, uh, the other ones are good, right? Well, <laughs> they're, not <laughs> <as bad. laughs> they're not as bad. And so there is uh, another dude. He, um, we were walking, me and this Saudi guy, we went to Starbucks to grab coffee and we're walking uh and so it's it's like maghrib time or right after maghrib um and so uh he he looks up the guy that i'm walking with he looks up and he's like wow stuff Allah subhanAllah and i was like what's the matter Are you good and he goes dude i know that guy and he's like what guy? I, I said what guy and uh the dude he's like the dude's sitting at the bar there's like an outdoor bar and so as we're i didn't know who it was i couldn't see in the crowd i keep walking somebody runs up to us and he goes hey like shfik, which means like hey what's going on like what's up with you mm-hmm. He's talking to the guy with me, and he goes, "What do you mean? What's, what's wrong with you?" And he goes, mm-hmm. "He's like, you saw me at the bar, but you didn't give me salam." Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he was getting he was getting lit up, man. He was getting drunk, and he was mad about him not giving him salam I mean, as he salaam. walked by. Hmm?
1: I mean, the truth is, you know, he's supposed to give salam to every Muslim, regardless, right? Yeah, so I yeah, mean, yeah. I can kind of see his point, you know. Yeah, I mean um, of course, every, you know, I get it though.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just sharing like, like how far out he went, like he went from con- completely conservative Saudi Arabia, where mm. a sin like that is extremely shameful, mm. to where he was completely normalizing it. Anyways, you're it's probably- a tough situation in college, right? It's, it's definitely, you're in a, you're, first of all, your age, you know, you're at the, the age of youth where sin is very, very easy. You know, it's, it's, it's much different for a guy that's 18 to commit sinna than it is for a guy that's 65 to commit Zina, right? Obviously. Yeah, you know, physically. Obviously, <laughs> okay. there's much, it's much different scenario. <laughs> And then there's also the added fact, that's why the, the, the back when they would do the hudud punishment, it was different for, for uh, a young guy than it was for an older guy. Uh, and so, or the, the one Are that's more, married, more strict, not married. Yeah. Okay, because
1: adultery gets way more strict punishment, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, it, was, it was more strict for the guy that was previously married versus the guy that wasn't. And so, obviously, it takes into account how difficult the situation is for the person. And it's definitely difficult, you know, to be uh, an American Muslim college student. You know what I mean? It's not easy. So if someone slips up, I don't blame him. A sheikh one time saw me at a lecture, right? He pulled me to the, this is mm-hmm. a, uh, an evening class at a masjid uh, while I was in college, and he pulled me to the side. He said, "Sonic brother, what's your name?" I told him, "I was like, Sam, My name is Sasha." He was like, "Mashallah, brother, you came to talk. You came to attend the class." I was like, "Yeah." What do you mean? He was like, MashaAllah, mashallah, brother, you're in college." I was like, "Yeah, I'm in college." He was like, MashaAllah, you could be having sex." And I was like, God <laughs> dude but i like that he was keeping it real
1: you're like really i can't really okay (laughs) (laughs) he was like
0: he was like you could be having sex you could be getting drunk but you came to the mushroom i was like yeah i appreciate it no
1: yeah it's true bro. i've had i've I've, I've heard the same things from shakes or you know at the mushroom all the time like let's say for example um last year i started youtube at my local mushroom in greenwood right yeah and people were like dumbfounded at the fact that i was able to bring like five ten guys on a saturday night you're like, wow, five, ten guys came to the mushroom on a Saturday night when they could have been doing anything. It's such exactly. a big deal. For me, and I think for you, it's like normalizing. We're gonna go to that that's where we go to have fun right. kind of week. Yeah. You know, yeah. but then they're like so shook. They're like, I can't believe these guys came, you know? Um and yeah, it shows you, you like, yeah. You know,
0: yeah. No, go ahead, go no ahead. once once you do it for a while, it feels normal. You know, it doesn't feel like yeah. when I go to the mesh, it doesn't feel like something special. You know,
1: all, when man. I
0: pull up at the mesh d- and I see my friends there, it feels like this is what I do to hang out. It doesn't feel like, yeah. oh, I'm so religious. I'm so scholarly. Yeah, oh, my yeah. baraka is flowing from my sleeves. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like Not that at all. all. At all so um, you just have to normalize a habit and then <clears throat> it doesn't feel like it's a burden. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, bes- besides the fact that, you know, um, some people put themselves in harm's way in terms of sin, um, did you ever find it difficult? In other aspects of, of being a Muslim in college,
1: um, what well, can you give me an example? what do you mean?
0: Well, I'm just asking, like in general. Like, did you ever have any other mm. difficulty in terms of practicing Islam while being a college mm. student?
1: Honestly, okay, so practicing Islam was not an issue at all because, um, I feel like, for example, um, if you make that part of your identity and you're very um, secure in it, your mm-hmm. identity. And you don't like overstate it, you don't overstate it, but you make it obvious that this is who you are and you love it and you practice it, and it's a priority to you. Then practicing Islam becomes extremely easy no matter where you are. Now, for an example, I don't want to, you know, talk bad about anyone, but a lot of people um, on Friday, Friday for Jummah, yeah. like, you know, at their job is like, oh, I'm too scared. Like, I can't come to Jummah, I have to work. You know, I can't come to gym. I have to work. I have, can't come to gym. I have to do this for my club. I can't come to gym. I have to do this for my research meeting. But for me, that's never been an issue for me because right. whenever I have to have an, a responsibility, I'll say, hey, guys, I have to go to my mosque for prayer for, from this time to this time. I'm going to be busy. And everyone's always going to accommodate that. You know what yeah. I mean? Everyone's always going to accommodate that. Every job I work, I say, hey, guys, I got to go here to pray like five minutes during this time. No one's going to say anything. You know what I mean? Especially if you own it and, like, you ask for it. Now, of course, there are some racist bosses. There's some intolerant bosses. There's always that. Yeah. But the vast majority of times, like, you just have to be able to own it, who you are, and practice it without shame. And then just say, I'm going to be busy. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, of course, everyone has different circumstances. But practicing Islam itself has never been an issue for me. In the same way that a lot of people give me excuses that it is. Because you have to... Put your foot down like you're not like you know you have to say with authority from the first place that like you can't be scared to say that you're Muslim and I have to do these responsibilities because it's important to me and then yeah. I'll do all the work I need to do for you you know to the highest level because most, whatever he does he does it with excellence so yeah. they know that you've proven yourself as a hardworking person a hardworking student a hardworking employee you know a good team member for your group project all these things because we do it with excellence we're supposed to be the best at everything we do yeah keep that in mind then they're gonna be willing to accommodate you Especially the way you say it is, you know, with proud of who you are, but not overstating it, not being like, oh, like, if you say anything against me, I'm going to cancel you, you know, <laughs> like,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. You got to do it the right way, you know, with proper and manners and kindness too. kindness. I
0: hear you. Uh,
1: but practicing Islam itself was never an issue, you know, because I made it part of who I am. And then, you know me, like, I- I'm not going to be shy about it, but I'll be yeah. very upfront and open conversations about it. So you know, yeah. that was never an issue, you know.
0: Yeah, when, when I was a, a high schooler, I was asking someone that was already in college, like, hey, did they do your professors, let you skip class for Juma?" Mm-hmm. And then uh, he told me, uh, in most instances, yes, unless there was uh, an exam.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was like, screw that I'm going to get my absence for, for the exam too. And <laughs> w- when I got into college, that's exactly what I did. You know, I remember, mm-hmm. sometimes it would perfectly line up that I had class during Juma, And it was an mm-hmm. exam. Mm -hmm. and I went straight to him. I was like, hey, I have a religious sermon I have to attend and I'm going to be absent on that day. If you could arrange for me to take the exam another time, that would be great. And at first he was like, no, no, can you can you skip it? And then I was like, no, no. I told him like, hey, I have to (laughs) attend. Like, just be just seriously, just be concrete about it. Like, just be like firm. Like, I cannot miss Juma. It's an obligation. It's a religious duty that's incumbent upon me that I have to fulfill and I'm not going to miss it. And uh, when he saw that, that I was basically stonewall about it. He was like, OK, um, if you could come attend uh my other class and I'll hand you uh, your exam while you're while they're taking their exam. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I, oh, I never. Hours, yeah. yeah, I never had to miss Jum'a. And I saw guys left and right I missing Jum'a for, for class. But, dude, it's because they're being weak about it. You know, I agree. They're just like, oh, can I can I skip class, please? No, you can't.
1: They don't okay. even ask. They won't even ask. That's the thing. Yeah. majority of people won't even ask. If they can skip class for Jum'a or anything. Yeah. You know, they'll never even ask because I don't know why um and think about it this way all of these like remember in our classes these guys are like oh i got to go work a golf tournament for two weeks like you know i can't be in class i got to do this the yeah. professor will easily give it to them say oh i got to go i'm going to a, a, a dance festival you know in miami i can't i can't i'm yep. going out of town can you move my exam so easily give it so why are you scared of something that's core to your identity that's ordained upon you as a necessity in your religion right. why are you scared to ask for it you know exactly you shouldn't be scared to um yeah I mean, and and I think that that the real underlines of that reasoning is very multifaceted, I and mean, we can go deep into that as well. Yeah, uh, especially yeah. in American society, uh, you know, uh, we're a minority. You know, we're a minority. We're an attacked minority. Yeah, honestly, um, it kind of cooled down when we were younger. You know, from like two thousand, you know, like ten to fifteen. But as soon as uh, Donald Trump came into office, you know, like it got really, really high again, uh, and people were scared of being Muslim scared of even being brown scared of not being uh you know the visible white. majority white yeah. white uh, christians popular fraternity christians you know what i'm saying like in the environment yeah. that we were in in south carolina they were scared of not being that so that makes them reject their identity reject what they are reject who they are reject what they want to do and then try to fit in with the majority um and you know you could say that's the reasonings for it um and once you learn to accept yourself for that and love yourself for that and you know live in accordance with who you actually are you're not going to be scared to actually go and ask the professor for that. But if you're yep. scared of who you are and don't want to accept and don't even want to be that person, don't live in accordance with, you know, who you are you do live like other people, then you, of course, you're going to be either too scared to ask, or if you ask, you just going to fold the first time they say no.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Dude, let's, uh, let's dig into the, the, the MSA real quick. Um, <laughs> okay. Cause uh, speaking, dude, from, okay. speaking
1: from a former, former MSA vice president. By That's you. right.
0: VP here. Yes, dude, sir, honestly, yes, the push and pull. Of being in an MSA between making it religious versus making it fun, that mm-hmm. was really hard to follow. You know what I mean? Like I came in, I'm not gonna lie, I came in to, to the MSA my very first year, my freshman year. And then when I there were so many problems that by my second year, by when I was a sophomore, I literally just dipped and I disappeared. I don't I don't recommend that. Obviously, I think people should stick around and try their best. But that I, I did that because of how many problems I had. Uh but if if you want to talk about it first, go ahead. Like what, what kind of problems did you face as as VP? Mm-hmm
1: specifically from a leadership perspective that was like the toughest decision I had to make but realistically I had to realize that aside from being like a center religious intellectual learning like the one that I desired for myself realistically Mm -hmm. one out of a hundred students is actually desiring that right yeah. very very little students want to go and meet every monday and talk about a hadith and talk about what it means to us and how we can implement it into our lives and tafsir and all these things they just want to hang out with people that look like them that have the same beliefs as them that have the same life experiences as them that can understand where they come from that can they can go to without being judged um and i realized that I had to make the MSA more of a safe haven for Muslims to come to when they felt like they were ostracized from the rest of society, or even if they just wanted a break from the rest of society, um, that it's a safe haven for them to come to with people that they love and they can trust without being judged out of fear of being judged. They can fully be the person that they grew up being around their own Muslim friends back home. And that was a perspective that I tried to really run MSA with. and that's kind of the stuff that we started doing now. And I think USC MSA now is way better than what we were doing back then. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Like, um, they have so many events and leadership. There is really, really good right now. Um, you know, like this stuff like we did, Did you ever come to our podlucks or anything like that in yeah, my yeah, apartments. Yeah. yeah, you did. Yeah. So like, see, it was more of like a social thing, you know? Um, and, and, and that's what I was trying to do. And of course we tried and even at the same time, I was also just getting religious as well. So I didn't really have like anything to really benefit people with like that. Um, but of course, you know, like when we're all together, all Muslims, we're going to pray together. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's something rare either way. Like how often are you going to do a Jamaat like on a Thursday? <laughs> you know what yeah, I yeah. mean? You know what I mean? So like that, the religious, religious identity, religious practice is still infused with it. But I made it primarily a social club for people to have fun. Because otherwise, people aren't even going to want to come. You know what I mean? And if you have fun, fun events. Let's, okay, this is for an example. So... Let's say the MSA is only like two or three guys in the beginning, right? Okay. It's two or three guys. We have a fun time. We take a picture of it. We post it on social media. And we also tell our other friends, yo, we did this. It was fun, man. Like, yeah. you know, we hung out, like, chilled. Then, you know, one of those 20, 30 guys in the periphery that barely practice Islam won't be scared to come and hang out with us because they're always chilling, they're just hanging out, you know. But if you say, yeah, we got together and we talked about Tafsir and Hadith and, you know, what I mean, it's going to turn off a lot majority of people. That's right. You know, so to attract those masses, the first step you have to do is just have fun social events, have food, have FIFA, have hangouts, you know, go eat dinner, go, go to the pool. Like these kind of events that attract people. And then slowly over time, you can start uh, infusing those and values more and more and more and more until the fact that we infuse both the fun activity and the religious uh, activity together. That's the kind of thing that I did with my youth group that I started in Greenville. Um, I kind of like and that's the knowledge that I gained from the MSA experience. And then I infused it with the youth group. And now we kind of mix together fun events and Islamic uh, things. Like, did, did you? Um, sorry, my AirPods is dead, but I'll just talk to you this way. Oh, you're good. You're good. Yeah, did, did you come to my my barbecue I had on 8th? no you didn't come it was you abdullah and hamza 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 abdu and hamza, uh you know what i'm
0: saying no i hear you yeah i was out of town exactly
1: so that was like you know like that was that was the the perfect uh example of that so we had a barbecue at my house for eat right mm-hmm. we had like bro we had like 60 70 people come to my house MSAs from Clemson, MSA from Furman, MSA from uh, Greenville Tech, MSA from USC Upstate, MSA from USC Columbia. People came from USC Columbia. Wow. You know, it was a combination of all the MSAs. And it was a fun event. You know, we hung out, ate burgers, played games. And then we all, guys and girls, prayed Maghrib and Isha together. And then the Imam of Greenville, he's like 24, you know, you met him. Yeah. Yeah. Like he gave an Islamic lecture. And 70 people, 60 people, on a random saturday night found themselves going from a party like a real party we were doing dub game we were doing everything you know yeah. <laughs> to listen to an islamic lecture you know uh, um it was a beautiful thing and then i also gave a speech uh you know just like to motivate people to get more religious more activated in the community yeah, yeah and then we went back to hanging out but like they got their religious benefit and we had fun and then people were asking me now when's the next event when's the next event when's the next event you know so once once you infuse those, you first got to attract people with the fun and then you can add the religious value. I don't think it's a push pull kind of thing, but you got to know when's the time to dial it up and when's the time to dial it down. And that takes. Right. A wisdom.
0: Yeah. And, and with, with the benefit of, of hindsight, you know, with looking at well, when I was there and why it was so, so bad of a situation like you have to really look at like this is how I think you should manage an MSA. You have to really look at the people that are in your attendance, like the mm-hmm. people in your area gauge their level of iman are they practicing are they not practicing are they muslim in name only and then formulate events and ideas from that and so if if you start off with okay these people they don't practice you know sam they're just here because they they want to see what's up they want to meet people that look like them talk like them act like them find a wife and then (laughs) then you, you drop in the center of that a very conservative uh scholar
1: Oh, I know give exactly. a lecture I know.
0: and he turns off a lot of people uh in terms of uh, uh getting closer to Islam you're not helping you're making it worse and so yeah. you have to be very very careful on how you tread and the best way to do this in my opinion is to just get someone that's of of knowledge you know like get a like the bigger universities have Muslim chaplains yeah okay, we don't have that but find someone that's smart that knows how to lead that knows what to do and they can hold your hand and take, if you come up and you say, we're going to have an event where we all discuss the tafsir of Surtekev, how many people you think are going to attend that? Two or
1: three.
0: Yeah. And that's, all, that's always what it was. Like I, I was in an MSA where that was always what it was. There was always a couple people. If you, uh, if you tell people that, uh, you know what, we're going to have a scholar come to talk about uh, the, the issue in, in Palestine, right?
1: Oh yeah. That's, that's Dude, over with.
0: It, the people that you're going to get, like if they know the name of that scholar, they're not, they're not going to be receptive to it. And his, his delivery of that speech is going to be so bad. Like, I just, I promise it. he's from overseas. You know, he's a conservative scholar. He doesn't have an understanding of the situation. He has no idea what you're going through as a young male Muslim college student. No idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you really have to understand your audience like, okay, I'm in charge of the MSA. I know these folks don't practice. Let me make events that are a little bit fun, and maybe we can sprinkle a little bit of Islam in the mix. Obviously, you don't want to go overboard. You don't want to make it a haram event, you know? Yeah. And so because obviously you're facilitating haram. Um and um like I saw a situation like one time, I remember you mentioning this. That a scholar was brought and he saw boys and girls and he turned his back towards the girls.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like, bro, there ain't no way that those girls are gonna come to the next MSA event. No way. Never, never. So. And so yeah. you, have to, you have to be really, really, tread really carefully. There's a Sheikh Omar Bejra, who's the, the, the chaplain for Yale University. Man, this guy is so solid, mashallah. Like I was talking, he came and he was a guest speaker in one of our classes at Tiza. This guy is solid, mashallah. Dude, he deals with the toughest situations. He deals with stuff that Islamic scholars do not ever see, that imams of Masajid will never have to deal with. He's on the front lines of dawah. Dude, you know what he deals with? He deals with folks coming up to him. And, and they'll say, uh, Salam Sheikh, my name is such and such, and I think I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Is it halal to be gay in Muslim? How in the world do you deal with a situation like that? He gets, he gets other people, because, you know, there are people from both sides of like Muslims and non-Muslims that attend chaplain, uh, that, that, that use their, their the Muslim chaplain. One person will come up and ask a really charged, loaded question. Why did Prophet Muhammad marry a six-year-old?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did, does Islam condone slavery?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But he had a slave. You know, really loaded. You got to be ready, man. Yeah. You got to be ready for that fire. And that's what I think that the MSAs were not equipped to do, especially ours. We would set up events. We'd set up booths, right, to do Dawa. Yeah, I mean, that was a knowledge to talk. Dude, we had booths for Dawa and people yeah. would come asking these charged questions. And we, we were like, yo, like, I'm just trying to pass biochem. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not ready to answer that for you. And so that's why the MSAs, Really, it, it's, it's on the fault. Honestly, it's on the fault of the Masajid. They really need to understand that the MSA is one of, one of the, it needs the most support. The agree, most support yeah. out of any organization in a Muslim community that needs the most support is the MSA because mm-hmm. it's the epicenter of the youth. These guys are going to graduate college and replace you one day. So you should be nurturing them. You should be caring for them. You should be taking care of them more than any other asset. You know, because mm-hmm. when you're the Imam of a Masjid, The problems that you're going to deal with are much easier to solve than what those Muslim youth are dealing with, who are much less equipped to deal with them than you are. You're dealing with questions of, I want to get a khula. You know, how much zakat do I have to pay? I just started a new business. How much zakat do I have to pay on this business? Or, uh, you know, I want to get to know this. Like these basic, basic questions. Oh, my father passed away. How do I do the janeza? And then those guys are dealing with, you know, can you be queer and Muslim?
1: Ex- existential questions exactly
0: no dude like in the, it literally it's so fundamental because they're literally a lot of them are teetering on the edge of islam you know we mm-hmm. like to talk about Dao and all the converts that come to islam but a study was conducted and the same amount of people that enter islam leave islam no way Wallahi. the same yeah. amount of people that come through the front door exit out the back and that should be that should be enough of a warning to say guys you really need to take care of your msa's and I think, mm-hmm. I personally think Sheikh Bajwa is doing a great job of that. He's got help from other Masajid. He has other scholars that help him. He's got suhaib Web, khalid Latif, all these shayyukh in, in, in the area. Uh, some of these other MSAs, though, man, they're literally, they have, they have nothing to help them. They really, they're, they're standing alone. And so when, when they screw up, I really don't blame them.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about for us, we had nobody, you know? Exactly. We had no religious person to guide us. So we had no religious leader to guide us. We were just trying to do our own thing and, you know, leave a bunch of like 20-year-olds at the helm of a big center for religious like you know uh, exploration within the university and it's gonna like not fulfill at least one of its goals you know yeah and i think that's where we, that's where we fell flat um but we still made like a fun social event, you know. And I think that still brings people closer to the deen when they with Muslims having fun. Because, you know, if we're Muslims having fun, you're not going to be like your friend, like you said, that, you know, was in an empty room with alcohol and two women and committed zina, you know, like you're not yeah. going to be in those environments. So, still, this, this being in that religious environment of Muslims that might not even be practicing Islam perfectly, yeah. you're going to be in a doing good habits and good actions. So, it'll slowly bring you closer to the deen. But we could have had a much bigger impact if we had a religious chaplain, a leader that could be to come to and give us talks, you know. Yeah. Um, back in the day The person that we'd go to For the religious talks Was your brother Abdullah You know He, have, yeah. he was the one That gave us the motivation To practice our lean Alhamdulillah He was a big asset To us for sure You know uh, But Not saying he didn't do his job But he did an amazing job As a friend mm-hmm. but, You know If you had a leader like that It would have benefited a lot I agree mm-hmm. with that
0: Yeah And, and uh, I think that People need to look at the MSA Not with the perspective of This is the avenue Where I Teach people about Islam And convert Non-Muslims to Islam but look at it as a place where you nurture Muslims that badly need support, you know, because they're not only being challenged on the front of fitna and sin, but also on the ideological aspect. You know, they're being hit with hard hitting questions, you know, and uh, they need someone to help answer them. And there's a great program that uh, that Sheikh Bajwa recommended to me to, to be able to answer those questions. Um, what's it called? It's uh, it's with. uh I can't remember the name right now, but it's, um, it's like a two or three week long program that's out of uh, Michigan with uh, Sheikh Abedullah Evans. Anyways, if you type his name on Google, you'll find the program. Um, but yeah, it's a solid program where, they, where they, they handle those questions. I was talking to him about this. What do you think about this? I said, Sheikh, you know how uh, there's basically a list of questions of attacks that we need to be ready to answer. You know how we have the Fortress of the Muslim, the Haslan Muslim book about the God. We need a Haslan Muslim 2.0 where it's just a little pamphlet with answers to all those questions and then just hand those out,
1: Maybe you should. know? So I had this, I just had this idea while you were talking. So, you know, um, this goes on to like the idea that a, a, a new college student, is the first time they're alone, right? Especially in such yeah. a restricted household. So think about this, me growing up as a Muslim in, uh, in America, um, I'm protected in two ways by my parents and my household, my community. First one is, yes, in the way of sin, right? If you're living with your parents, you're not going to go out on an 8 p.m. on Thursday night and go to the bar, come back drunk with a woman to your house. You're just, like, that's just restricted for me from the beginning. Right. You're not going right. to go smoke weed and come back smelling like, you know, some some weed. Like, you're going to, like, you, all these things are like, I can't do it because my parents are watching me. Right. When you go to college, you have that freedom. That's why some people go into those sins, like the friend you're talking about that went and drank alcohol and the police had to go bust into his apartment. It's because he had no one watching him. So he had the That's freedom right. to do that, the freedom of space, the freedom of time. Right. Now, the duality of that with the ideological protection that we have as Muslims growing up within our parents' household. When you're in the environment of Islam. You're not even really had these questions because this is like, it's just what you do. You're Muslim. You know, like your dad's going to tell you go pray. Your mom's going to tell you go to the Halakha. Your dad's going to take you to Jummah on Friday. Your older yeah. brother is going to be there. You're in a Muslim environment. So you're never going to question your beliefs because this is what everyone around you is doing. It's what you're doing every day. But to take that to when you go to college, again, you're on your own. You have that freedom of environment, of time and space. And you're like really going to start questioning, like, is this really who I am? You know? am i I really a muslim do i really have to do this and that's why they have these kind of questions because they don't have that same environment that same community there that's enforcing islam on them in the same way they're enforcing restriction from sins when they're back home at least that's what happened to me you know it's like you have these you're in this new environment and you have no one telling you like this is what you do this is who you are you have to find out who you are yourself and that's why these people need to have these questions answered you know
0: yeah, and and there there's by the way there's another aspect to it I think uh, just from my perspective that uh, uh the the Muslim community itself burdens young men and um th- this this uh, this I think is especially true for Arab Arabs and Daisies. Yeah. that you know it's we're not supposed to be in a hot-on relationship right boyfriend girlfriend we're not supposed to do that yeah. but we're also not supposed to make marriage that difficult either I you hate- know. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be a really basic thing. Like when Ali, uh, may Allah be pleased with a married Fatima, yeah, he yeah. just sold his shield. Yes. And got the money for that, gave it to her, and did the, the, the nikah just like that. Yeah. yeah. So um, people, they okay, first of all, student loans, right? The Muslim community is saddled with debt. So you're, you're the, the average young American Muslim guy that's looking to get married you're told, okay, first of all, go get a job. Okay. How do I get a job? I need a degree to get the degree. You have to get around $30,000 in student loans Dude, even more like over a hundred K for the Northern communities. You know, people that go to
1: medical school and dude,
0: undergrad stuff. at Yale alone is 80 K. Mm. So if, if you're, if you're trying to go to Ivy league, dude, that's even like, okay, anyways, so you're going to get saddled with student loans, a bunch of money you got to pay off then on top of that they're going to say okay you want to marry my daughter okay you have a nice job that's great um we also need mahar in the amount of thirty thousand dollars i have a friend that went to get to know a girl solid guy by the way okay like solid in every regard half of of the quran okay so and and i know him personally because you know some hafab they don't they don't embody the the quranic uh behavior attitude and so this guy no he was he was both aspects he was Memorize the Quran. And then he's also, mashallah, serious adab, right? Really solid guy. Very nice guy. Uh, he's also handsome, mashallah. So he's not ugly. Um, you know, he's also very tall. You know, girls like tall guys. Uh he, you know, everything you can think of, he had it. Right? He was a do- oh, he was a doctor. He was graduating residency. Uh, so everything a girl wants in a guy, he had it. Okay. He goes to get to know this family. Um, he, he's getting to know her, everything goes well. She likes him, he likes her. And then uh, uh, the, her, her father says, okay, Inshallah, we're going to uh, let you guys know about the Mahar soon. So he goes back to his house. That guy calls up the family. My daughter has requested $50,000, Mahar. Holy smokes. You know why he did that? What? He knew that this guy comes from a family of wealth. Like his dad was a doctor and he's becoming a doctor. He's like, yeah, I can make some money off of this. The Mahar is supposed to be for her she's supposed to dictate the terms of the terms of the mahad, and it's supposed to all go to her. But sometimes the guy gets in invo- the father gets involved and he makes things so difficult, especially Arabs. Like I've seen it in Arabs a ton of, because I, I have Arab friends, obviously, and they, they tell me about what they have to go through. Um, and so he looked at that situation and he was like, dude, the girl is awesome, but I don't have 50 K and I am not going to ask my dad to pay this debt for me. 50,000. I am not going to put that on my dad. He just paid for my medical school. I am not. His dad was like, "Let me pay it for you. I don't mind." He was like, "No, there is no way, no way. I'm gonna do." It. So he went. Call. He's like, "Never mind." Mm-hmm. And I, when I heard that, man, I was like, "MashaAllah!" I commend you, my a strong brother. man, because he liked the girl. He he almost go way. ahead.
1: Think about it this way, bro. When you like, you know, there's a common idea in Islam. When you marry a girl, you marry her family as well. That's right. So you know. When, when you marry the girl, the girl might be amazing. She might be perfect, but you're going to deal with her family the rest of your life. That's true. Do you really want to enter into a relationship where the first interaction you have with that man is that he tells you pay such an absorbent amount of money? Yeah. And that, do you think, how, how do you think that's going to impact the rest of your life? He made the wise decision, in my opinion. Yeah. That,
0: that, that, that guy would have been one hell of a father in law, you know?
1: Yeah. Messed up your whole life. You don't want that.
0: Yeah. So, so, Alhamdulillah, may, may Allah grant him uh, uh, a righteous wife soon, inshallah. Um, I mean, that, so, that's that's that's
1: the Hadith of Prophet Wasallam, so right? Because when someone's coming to marry your daughter, the only things you look at is the character and the conduct, or the that's right. and the character, how they practice Islam and how they carry themselves. That's and right. That's the only thing that matters. You don't look at like I heard this crazy story, dude. This one guy is also Arab. I think it's it might be yeah, yeah. An Arab. It might be an Arab thing. <laughs> it be, no, it's also Pakistani, though. Of course, is Pakistani mm-hmm. as well. Um, but that's the, the crazy stories I hear are from the science, of the Arabs. But box signs have crazy stories too, I know. Mm-hmm. But this more. My examples are Arab. Don't know. No, 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 go ahead.
0: Go ahead.
1: No racism. Right? I love course. all of Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, this, this guy, he he is talking to a girl, not even her father. The girl's brother says, Bring me your tax returns. Right? He takes his. Hold tax- on a second.
0: He asked for the tax returns?
1: Asked for the tax returns. He didn't. Yeah, yeah.
0: He didn't just say how much you
1: make. No, no. He's and then. I guess he looked at the taxes. Like your tax back is not high enough to marry my daughter or my sister. Oh hell no! Your tax back is not high enough, and he's rejected him. Oh my god! You hear these stories? It's like, bro, when you go on the day of judgment, you're gonna be asked, "Why did you do this, this good man? Why'd you reject him?" You're gonna be punished on the day of judgment for that kind of stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like,
0: yeah, wow. yeah, for sure, uh, dude. It, it's wild. Um, the the so it's a common problem that they're asking for way too much money right like they're 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 putting so much burden on on guys today uh think about it
1: this way way, bro this is what my friend was telling me he was like man your dad is making me pay so much money does he realize that if i'm gonna be broke you're gonna be broke too (laughs) you're gonna be broke with me exactly he's like, he's making your life in the future like exactly taking all my money how am i gonna provide for you you know Yeah, yeah
0: And and, you know, another thing they do is they they stipulate something called uh, mahar muqaddam and mahar mu'akhar. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. you're going to pay 50K now. And then uh, uh, after you guys get engaged in stuff, you also owe this much. What? Yeah. And then they also add a stipulation to the contract. If you guys break up, she keeps the mahar, which they can do that legally. They can, but it's not nice. You know, like uh, the mahar is supposed to be kept if you break up with her. But if she does like a khula, if she doesn't like you then you return the muhad but she's saying in in that situation no regardless i break up or you break up i keep the muhad
1: mm-hmm.
0: so and, and it's crazy the and but that that's one aspect of it right well, one aspect of the problem there's another and i heard this from a guy it, it was kind of funny he says uh, dude if you want to get if you want to get married nowadays i think he was bangladeshi he said if you want to get married nowadays an undergrad degree is not going to cut it i was like what do you mean He was like, first of all, (laughs) he was like, like, if you're getting to know a girl from marriage and her father asks you, what kind of education do you have? And you say, oh, I have a a bachelor's in uh, computer science. He's going to be like, well, my daughter is studying to become a doctor. You know what I mean? And so... um, a lot of girls are very smart by the way a lot of uh, uh arab girls and daisy girls mashallah
1: That's i told you most of my friends were girls because they're the ones that are having those high educational goals like
0: yeah you. man like they they really their education is solid mashallah like they go and they get uh graduate degrees it's very common very common for. and so then they expect it from the guys as well which you know? really is that a bad thing
1: is that a bad thing it's, it's
0: not a bad thing but i guess no i guess you yeah it is the sunnah to marry from the same educational level and class or background like i think that's a position in the hanafi method that they should marry from the same level of education um so it's, it's not particularly a bad thing um but if all these girls are getting graduate degrees and yeah, phds okay. then you're kind of depriving society of uh, of a muslim yeah. spouse uh and and, and it, it goes both both ways right like if all the guys decide you know what i'm not going to deal with having a muslim wife i'm just going to marry a christian girl which is halal for them then it's depriving all uh, all of the muslim girls of having a, a Muslim spouse, um, yeah. so it, yeah, it's a two-pronged approach. But yeah, no, it's definitely a problem, and it's very connected to college because you have to get a college degree to get a job, and you need a job to get married. But if that college degree comes with a bunch of debt, and it most likely does, because you know nowadays the situation is
1: yeah, uh, like that,
0: and then you also expect all this mahar money, it really puts them in a tough situation, and we are in a tough situation uh, today. I agree. So. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's going to be solved. I know that there's a story of Omar, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he saw that people were raising the mahr during his time. And, uh, you know, he went to go restrict it on the minbar. And then a woman got up and said that he didn't have the right to do that. And then he, you know, he uh, uh, retracted his statement because he, he mentioned the ayah in the Quran, which says that, you know, you can't take uh, uh, the rights of the wives, which is referring to the mahr. I mean, it's um, true. It's,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's the right of the woman, though. It should be the decision of her. is not of the of That's right.
0: And I feel like if she actually likes you, she would not be burdensome on you. If she actually likes you and she loves you and she wants to be with you for the rest of her life, she knows you don't you can't afford 50k maher. She's going to be like, Bob, I'm not paying 50k. I mean, I'm not asking for 50k. I'm going to ask what he's comfortable with. And I'll just give you a, a real life example. Uh, my sisters didn't ask for 50k. You know, I have two sisters that are married. Alhamdulillah. Oh. You know, they, their mahar was like a couple thousand just being yeah, completely yeah. frank you know yeah and so um that's how it should be and, and there's more baraka obviously and and, and the, the lower you make it, obviously it shouldn't be like a dollar like you should you should ask for something of value because that's the whole point yeah it should be a valued gift that that's something that's something that you would accept the mud is something that you would uh hold in high regard and esteem um and that's the whole point of it so um, but this,
1: think about it this way: it could be because because your father is such like a good, loving father that you know he's willing to do these kind of things. A lot of these uh Muslim households, both this and Arab, are more of an authoritarian relationship where what I say goes, and you don't. That's right. Have. Their whole life, they've never been allowed to speak up. So of course, in that's this, right. matter, maybe these girls aren't even having the choice of to marry, marry. Maybe the father is forcing them to marry. These authoritarian relationships are all over the Muslim right. world. The For father, sure. God you know maybe even if they like the guy maybe they don't even like the guy like they're probably too scared to even stand up you know and ask to request for a lower mare or even to request to choose who they want to marry you know so i like i can understand why like you know why that would happen and i think that's another issue that we could delve into you know uh as well as like you know um that that strict authoritarian relationship where the father is the one that controls the whole daughter's life from where she's going to go to school to what she's going to wear to who she can hang out with or what ending up to a who she's gonna marry and how much he's gonna pay, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, uh, you know, so um, should we stop here? Or do you want to keep going? Uh,
1: we can stop here and then we can do another episode. You
0: know? Okay. Yeah, yeah, we can stop. I think we're at an hour and a half. Yeah, I, I think we have
1: a good we have a good chemistry.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. for sure. No, Mashallah, you're a very smart guy. I, I love the points you bring up. I like it when you contradict me. By the way, I like it when you uh, when you give a different viewpoint because it's I a great a way. Lot. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's it's a great <laughs> way. Uh, uh, to understand new ideas and that's how you develop is by i see because that's why that. i like
1: talking to you too because we think so differently on so many things yeah but I it's like we're both like you know we like to give like logical reasonings behind what we say so they both are valid points you know like alhamdulillah so that's I like right too.
0: and and and, like, and I, I think that neither of us are like firebrained, like sometimes you talk to a guy at the masjid, and he will <laughs> he will not <laughs> let you get a word in edgewise you know what i mean he will not let you speak
1: yeah. So and
0: usually what you're saying is such low quality stuff too. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like double double trouble, man. Yeah, no but alhamdulillah. All right, we can we can stop here. So I'll just I'll say the closing dua. My man Samir, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, bro. Until next Make time, me me the rest, man. Make me Let's ready. do it. I'm down. You let me know, inshallah, we'll we'll, we'll shoot one.
1: I'll I'll make time every week for you. Don't worry. Let's do it, bro. I appreciate it. All right. I'll catch you later, Um. inshallah.